Yeah, it's sports talk from the three bros. Something you can bet on like Pete Rose. And you better not miss it like some free throws. Giving taste is more accurate than Drew Brees throws. And it might get explosive like some C4. We just giving you a look inside the peephole. So if you got a weak take, you better keep those. And get your cheeks swole when you step into the ring with the Amiibros. What's up, what's up, what's up? It's your boy, Jared, a.k.a. 85 from the Amiibros Podcast. Um, as I mentioned on the podcast this week, I will be... Uh, kicking off a weekly podcast that'll be a video podcast on every uh, Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday, depending on the week. I'll let you know during the podcast um, that will give you guys a little bit of a dive in into some of the topics we want to go through this week. Um, one of the big things I did want to get into today, I know we talked a little bit about it on the podcast, but I didn't get a chance to dive into it. So look, here's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it kicked off on. Baker Mayfield, if I ask you guys what's the common denominator between Donald Trump, Baker Mayfield, Johnny Manziel, and LeVar Ball, what would you say? It's the fact that they told you they were coming before they came. And in most of the cases, we didn't believe them. At the beginning, Donald Trump initially asked or announced that he was going for uh, running for president. He paid actors to be in the crowd. Um, and I think from, you know, you can bet uh, on overseas markets he was a 5,000 to 1 odds, meaning you could have bet $1 to win 5,000. Um, and so at the end of the day, um, one, I wish I would have made that bet. That would have made me a much richer man. But same way, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield was a walk-on quarterback um, at uh, Texas Tech, then became a walk-on quarterback at Oklahoma, um, and came to the league, and Brash told you about how good he was. Same thing with LeVar Ball with, with his son Lonzo. Lonzo was obviously a highly touted player. But I don't think really many people would have said he was going to be the number two prospect in the, in the country um, or in that draft uh, class. Um, same thing with Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel was a small, slight quarterback, had issues in college, had a drinking problem that was known, but still managed to go in the first round. And why? The reason is pretty simple. Uh, the, and what's up, Mark? I see you on here on the podcast, uh, or on the, uh, on the uh, IG. But the reason was it's because... We like for people to tell us they're coming. We like for brashness. We like for people to be able to be braggadocious or whatever you want to call it because that's ultimately what we enjoy. Look, LeBron James, the reason why he's one of the most polarizing athletes in sports and one of the reasons why he's also one of the most loved and hated athletes is because of the fact that there was the article when he was 17 years old on Sports Illustrated saying he was the chosen one. You have, in many cases all these highly touted athletes and the pressure becomes too strong because of the fact of there is a rooting interest against you and one of the toughest things that you have to deal with is not only are the people you're going against rooting against you they're giving you their best shot the cleveland browns saw the best tennessee titans team they could have possibly faced when teams were going versus the lakers last year when lebron was there and everybody was was gunning for him they were getting everybody's best shot and it's not that that wasn't happening in Cleveland, but whenever you go to a town like L.A. or you're Baker Mayfield and you're the number one pick in the draft or you're Lonzo Ball and you're the number two pick in the draft and your dad is out there talking about you're the best point guard in the world, you're better than Steph Curry, then what's going to happen? You go versus Patrick Beverly the first week of the season or first game of the season and he dominates you. And that's one of the biggest issues Baker made. I called before the season. 
I said I thought they were going to be exposed. I said I thought the biggest reason they were going to get exposed was because of the fact that I didn't think they were as talented as they needed to be. But the second part is they didn't have the leadership you needed. You hire a first-year head coach the uh, in Freddie Kitchens, who for all intents and purposes had never even been a coordinator starting a season in his career. He was the quarterback coach for the Browns when – uh, Hugh Jackson was fired. He took over as the offensive coordinator for the last 10 games. And because he had a good rapport with Baker Mayfield, you just hire him as the head coach. We don't know about his ability to be able to control a team full of personalities like an Odell Beckham Jr., a Jarvis Landry, a Baker Mayfield. I mean, I, Antonio Callaway is a whole other another situation who's, who's currently suspended. So I thought the leadership was going to be lacking. And when you have a team like that, you have a team where organizationally there's chaos. The biggest thing you can do to help that team out is to give them a quarterback that can be a calming force. Look, I'm not the hugest fan of Dak Prescott, but one of the things that you cannot deny about Dak Prescott is he is a person that is the calming effect for a locker room. He is somebody that is able to take whatever it is that you're dealing with and to be able to squash it. You may not agree with his opinion on uh, you know kneeling for the anthem, but he, he said, look, I, I believe in standing for the anthem, I'm going to do it. For Jerry Jones, that was something that could have been a dividing issue for the locker room. Obviously, he's one of the only black quarterbacks. You know, he's, he's half black, half white, but still one of the only African-American quarterbacks in the league who could have taken a stand and possibly ruffled some feathers in that locker room. But what he decided to do was he was going to take a stand. He stood next to it, his owner said. And in that case, Jerry Jones was able to embrace it, to kneel before the anthem. Um, and, and, and I think... Regardless, when Ezekiel Elliott had, had his hole out this offseason, Dak Prescott was there as an adult to be able to say, look, I understand what Zeke's doing. It's a business decision. I will be here with my teammates. I will get paid whenever I need to get paid. But Baker Mayfield, he's not the guy that's going to be able to do that. Am I telling you that the Browns are going to have an awful season this year? No, because I don't believe they're going to have an awful season this year. I think they're going to be a very talented team that gets them to eight wins. Do I think they're going to be a playoff team? No. Do I think they're going to win any playoff games? Especially not. But I think when you look at it, you have a division that has gotten much better. Um, do I think the Steelers are going to look as terrible as they did versus the Patriots? No. They typically have struggled versus Tom Brady and the Patriots in Foxborough. Um, at that stadium, they have never beaten Tom Brady. He's got 20 touchdowns, zero interceptions during that period of time. And they've averaged getting destroyed. Not as bad as that game was, but they've been dominated. I expect them to bounce back. Lamar Jackson clearly has improved as a, as a passer. Do I think what we saw this week versus the Miami Dolphins is something that we can continue to see down the road? Uh, we'll see. I'm not going to say no, but I just don't expect that to happen. But with that being said, I think if you're looking at you know, what is the Browns' upside, I don't think you can expect them to beat the Ravens twice, maybe not even once. I don't expect them to beat the Steelers twice, maybe even once. And that team that we thought was going to be terrible, I said before the season, I thought the Bengals were going to be awful. Zach Taylor looked like he had it going for that offense. They were playing in a rainstorm in Seattle versus the New Age Legion of Boom. I mean, clearly they're not the same team they were. Um, but that Legion of Boom team um, got dominated. I mean, they got dominated from a defensive standpoint. Uh, Andy Dalton, who, in my opinion, is clearly, clearly a below average starting quarterback in the league and, and at best an average talent is leading the NFL in passing yards after one season. That's not going to be an easy out, especially for a team that allowed Marcus Mariota and the running back crew to be able to dominate that game. And one of the things that I want to dive in a little bit more on, as I was comparing, the when you're Johnny Manziel or you're 
any any kind of athlete in your your polarizing Tim Tebow. Um, I mean, you you have any of the polarizing athletes. Most owners are going to stay away from it. Whether that be for even if you're Colin Kaepernick and you're extremely talented and you took a team to the Super Bowl, whenever it becomes a distraction to wherever people look at it and say, "I think I can deal without this." That's what's going to happen. And unless you're a, a talent level of an Antonio Brown or someone along those lines to where you have Hall of Fame talent, anything that's a distraction, owners are usually going to move away from it. I think that's one of the biggest detriments to Baker Mayfield. I think that's one of the reasons why they will not win a playoff game or make the playoffs this year. Uh, and the comparison to him, Deshaun Watson, is, is laughable. I have no idea how on the NFL.com rankings he was ranked above Deshaun Watson, how he was ranked above him in the Madden rankings. Uh, it, it was baffling. Um, but moving on. on Other topics I want to get into before I start getting into some, diving into some of the games that I want to dive into for this week. Um, Antonio Brown is, is, was practicing yesterday with the New England Patriots. Um, obviously, there was the allegations that came out, we, we mentioned in the podcast a couple days ago, um, about Antonio Brown being accused of sexual assault uh, and, and forcible rape by his former trainer. Now, obviously, he completely denies the the allegations. I'm not going to get into whether you know whether or not this happened or not. But what I will tell you is this: Yesterday, Bill Belichick was answering questions about Antonio Brown, and already he's saying, "Look, I'm not answering any more questions about Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown better get there and be extremely productive, or be a quiet." choir boy in that locker room because at the end of the day one of the things that we don't like to see as a patriot if you're a patriots fan is a lot of clutter now clearly i'm not a patriots fan i would love for them to fail because of the fact of my texans have to play them later in the season i don't want them to be a juggernaut but they hate clutter and chaos i remember when randy moss was i mean he had 23 touchdowns his first season uh in new england they go 18 and 0 obviously losing the super bowl to the giants a couple years later they're playing, and he was making a little bit of noise about him wanting a new contract. And there was a Monday night football game, and he got zero targets, zero catches. And I remember Colin Cowherd, and I'll give him a shout out on this one, because he came out the next day, and he was like, that, that doesn't happen unless there's a decision made that they're moving on. And I was kind of like, they're not moving on from Randy Moss, Hall of Fame caliber receiver, who had 23 touchdowns his last season with, with Tom Brady. And had gone the previous season with Matt Castle and helped lead them to an 11-win season. Lo and behold, next two days later, I think on that Tuesday, they traded him to the Vikings. And I think the same thing is going to happen with Antonio Brown. Not traded because I don't think anybody's really trading for that contract. But I think if there is any type of distraction long-term, I mean, he, they, can, they can deal with it for a week or so. But if there's any long-term ramifications from a, a uh, you know just being a distraction standpoint, they're going to get rid of him. Uh, and personally, I think the NFL right now should put him on the, the, the commissioner's exempt list. Look, I think if, if there's so, you know, we can't look at, at his situations that he's had this year and compare that to anybody being accused of rape. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination, you can look at it and say, all right, this guy has um, obviously been accused of rape. And he's been accused of a lot of other things in the last, let's say the last 18 months. Let's that's, that's, that's take it back. Uh, he was accused of throwing uh, a lot of items from his 14th floor of his uh, his condo in Pittsburgh, uh, including a heavy object such as he threw an ottoman uh, that landed within feet of a 22-month-old baby. Um, there, and, and he claimed, oh, they're, they're just out here for the money. Uh, he got sued recently by his uh, chef who 
said he catered for the entire Pro Bowl party that Antonio Brown had. Never got paid for it. Oh, he's just doing it for the money. Now we got this situation, and, and his, his conversation is, hey, she's just doing this to try to get money. And I'm not telling you, all those individually could be, you know, it, it could happen. But I think when you have to look at it from the Occam's Razor standpoint of if something is, is happened, the easiest explanation is usually the most likely. Uh, and that meaning Antonio Brown's probably done some bad things. I'm not saying he's he, I, I'm, I'm accusing him of, that he's done this. But when you have all these allegations over you, I think it's responsible for the NFL to say, hey, look, we need to put this aside. We need to not let you play these games until we can figure this out. Because what the worst thing that could possibly happen is it comes out that she you know, she released those text messages um, that were you know of him uh, explicitly you know describing things he did to her, uh, but we don't know if she has any other evidence. And the last thing you want is a Ray Rice situation all over again, where we've given them the benefit of the doubt recently. We've been able to give them a second chance to earn our trust as the NFL. But if you have another one of these situations, there are going to be a lot of people that walk away from it and say, look, you guys didn't care about the situation. You didn't care about women. You didn't care about sexual assault. And this could be a damaging, damaging blow to the brand of the NFL. I think they should put them on the commissioner's exempt list. Uh, moving on, let's go into a little bit more of the uh, – I want to talk a little bit about college football. We got some games going on this week. Not any really premier games. The ones I'm really looking forward to is next week, uh, Notre Dame versus Georgia. I actually have an upset of Notre Dame beating Georgia at Georgia next week. We'll get into that game next week. Uh, but some of the games this week, I want to get into a few of the uh, the bets that I would recommend you make. Obviously, uh, on the podcast, we talk about NFL picks. I've been pretty uh, accurate over, over our year and a half of picking games. Last year, I believe I finished at plus 1,200. Uh, I'm plus 400 week one this year. Uh, preseason games, I was, I was pretty accurate, even though we weren't even doing it on the podcast. But I've been pretty accurate on those bets. But what I will tell you is college football, in my opinion, is the easiest sport to bet. College basketball, once you're at a Division I level, there's so many, there's so many good players. Even if you're at a UMBC or, or, or you know, a Winthrop, there are guys on that team that are talented enough that if they hit enough three-pointers, et cetera, the game can be close. They can cover a spread possibly even win the game but when that's that's what makes marsh madness exciting college football though typically the team that's more talented is going to dominate most of the games if you take the favorite in most top let's say top five to top 10 teams in the country and you just take the favorite in the matchup you're going to win and you take them against the spread still you're going to win 65 percent of the games because even if you look at a game like last last week where LSU is playing Texas and LSU is favored by six and a half points, and everybody's like, "Oh, that's a super high line," I would have probably taken Texas in that line as well. Um, Texas, if they don't drop a ball in the end zone, uh, probably is a tie game at that point. But they still cover the spread, and so the games that I want to recommend this week for the bets, and they're pretty simple. Uh, first, Clemson at Syracuse. Obviously, I'm a Clemson Tiger, um, and. I think that game is going to be one of the easiest to bet. Sorry, my, one of my cameras is uh, following the... Uh, but I think that's obviously one of the easiest to bet. Um, let's see, this one turned around. We'll, we'll flip it. Either way, um, I think that's one of the easiest games to bet. And I think the reason is because of the fact of Syracuse has given Clemson problems the last two years in a row. Um, and so I think when you look at it, everybody says, oh, look, Syracuse is a bad matchup. I, do I think they're a bad matchup? No, I don't. I think what happened was the last two times we've played them, Kelly Bryant got injured in the first half, so the quarterback went out. And then Trevor Lawrence got injured in the first half, and the quarterback went out. And they had a uh, quarterback at Eric Dungey who broke all of uh, Donovan McNabb's records. Um, he literally broke every single uh, passing record that he had on campus. 
Uh, and I think that's one of the main reasons why uh, they were able to give us problems. If you looked at last week, that Maryland game, Maryland beat them 63-20. to 20. Uh, And I watched the game. They have no speed in the secondary. They have not the ability to be able to guard, guard any you know, any high-quality receiver. Uh, and I think the game's going to get ugly. And I think because of the fact that Clemson lost them two years ago and almost lost them last year, Dabo's going to have all their attention, all of their focus. I expect this game to resemble more of the Syracuse-Clemson game from three years ago where Clemson beat them 59-0. Obviously, that game was at Death Valley. This game is at the Carrier Dome. I would take Clemson minus the 27.5 points you have right now. I think that game is going to be a very, very lopsided affair. I would probably guess a score of somewhere between, I'd say maybe 56-14. Uh, I think that game is going to get out of hand pretty early. Next game, same logic. You have Alabama playing versus South Carolina, and they are a 23.5 to 24.5 point favorite, depending on, on what uh, you know site you go to as far as trying to get your lines. Take Alabama and give all those points up because they're going to win that game by at minimum five touchdowns. Like, it, it won't be that close. Look, Jake Bentley is out for the season. Um, he, he had a Liz Frank injury, which, you know, brings into jeopardy of him possibly being able to come back next year for a fifth year. Uh, it feels like he's been there as long as Steven Garcia and Karna Shar combined. But, hey, he's got an ability to come back because he only played one game. But with that being said, there's a freshman quarterback now playing at South Carolina and Ryan Helensky, who was, you know, according to some, some reports, the top five quarterback in last year's class. Do I think he's really talented? Yes, he is. He's a very talented quarterback. He's the brother of um, the uh, the late, I can't think of uh, his first name, but Helensky that was the quarterback of uh, Washington State who committed suicide a few years ago. Um, and he is a very talented player. If you watch the game versus Charleston Southern, um, which I was able to watch a little bit of it, um, he looked like he was pretty accurate. And, you know, obviously they were going to be able to outmatch him from an athlete standpoint. And South Carolina has some weapons. I like Brian Edwards. Um, he will be a drafted receiver in the, in the draft this year. Um, but with that being said, they just don't have the horses. Tavian Feaster is a good back out of the backfield. Um, he didn't even start when they played UNC. Uh, although he was their, their most productive running back, I'm not sure with that offensive line how much they're going to be able to control the clock. And if you're playing UNC, who's, you know, obviously last year a 2-11 team, they're much improved. They beat Miami this week. Um, and obviously, so, you know, shout out to Matt Brown, who's one of my favorite coaches of all time. Um, but with that being said, as much as, as, UNC is doing better. They don't have near the athletes or the recruiting classes to build up like an Alabama does. And South Carolina, with a senior quarterback, could barely move the ball. I don't expect them to put up many points. And with the receiving core that Alabama has, look, everybody's telling me it's the best receiving core in the country. I would personally take Clemson because I think Clemson's deeper. I think if you go at the top of, of, of Alabama's roster and you go Waddle and Judy and uh, – uh, Name is slipping me. The uh, the the other wide receiver, and I'll, I'll think of it in a second. It'll just make me mad in the middle. But with that being said, th- those those top three guys are um are are really elite. They're all probably gonna be Henry Ruggs. I knew it was gonna come to me. So Henry Ruggs is projected as a first round pick. Um, so is uh Waddle for next year. He he's a sophomore, and Jerry Judy is projected as a top five pick. So I think they're all elite. But after that, there's not a lot of depth. From their receiving core. If you look at Clemson's receiving core, um, T. Higgins is projected as a first round pick. Next year, Justin Ross will likely be a top five, top 10 pick. Um, you got, you know, Amari Rogers, who, you know, just came back spectacularly from an, a, a, he tore his ACL in March and played in the game last week. I mean, he's back 100%. He was a five star coming out. He's likely going to be a third or fourth round receiver. Um, and you got Frank Latson, who will likely be, you know, first or second round receiver in a couple of years. He's a five star. Uh, Joe Ngata, who, who, 
in my opinion, has the ability to be a top 10 receiver ultimately. I mean, the depth is there. But but back, I got aside, uh, back to that receiving court, those three receivers are as good as any top three receivers in the country. Um, and so when you match them up, Versus a secondary that was able to get torched by a rookie quarterback or a freshman quarterback in Sam Howell at UNC. I expect that game to get out of hand very early. I expect Nick Saban, because the last time he went to South Carolina, they lost. He's going to bring that up. And I got him, uh, you know, being... Uh, sorry. Uh, I got that game getting out of hand a little bit. Uh, so I'll get in that in a little bit. But I, uh, I got that game getting out of hand. I got Alabama winning the game 42-7. to uh, sorry for anybody who was on here. I had a phone call on that line, so uh, that's probably why you uh, you got cut off for a second. All right, so the two bets so far. I got Alabama uh, clearly covering versus South Carolina. I got Clemson clearly covering versus Syracuse. Next game is Oklahoma playing versus UCLA. Look, UCLA is 0-2. As much as I believed in Chip Kelly, I thought he'd be a good fit. I thought he'd do really well at UCLA. We can't count on Chip, Chip Kelly to be anything besides a poor ball coach right now. He doesn't have the quarterback. Um, I, I, I was pretty high on, on Dorian, whatever, Thompson that was coming out. Um, he was an Elite 11 quarterback, top five quarterback in the country. He hasn't developed. He can't throw the ball. They are coming off back-to-back losses to Cincinnati, uh, where they lost the game convincingly to, to Cincinnati, and then got beat by San Diego State. Now, if you want to go in the context of those two games, let's look at it in perspective. Cincinnati was beaten afterwards by Ohio State 42 to 0 42 to 0 the game wasn't close and I was convinced that game was going to be a pretty competitive contest because I was like oh they beat UCLA they're 11 and 2 team after watching that game versus Ohio State Ohio State is a very comparable team to Oklahoma and if Ohio State can beat Cincinnati by 42 and Cincinnati beat UCLA then I'm going to expect Cincinnati to, I'm going to expect Oklahoma to beat UCLA by at minimum 40 points and they're only giving 27 and a half. The easiest lock bet of the weekend for me, in my opinion, is that game. Uh, and, and then the last game I want to go to, and this is going to be for an NFL, uh, an NFL pick. Look, it's going to be, uh, it's going to seem like it's a, 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 a out there pick. Obviously, Sam Darnold just got uh, announced today. Uh, that he's got mono. He's going to miss the game versus the Browns. Likely will miss several weeks. He's been quarantined in his apartment, so he didn't get the other players sick. Um, So, obviously, you know, best wishes for him and prayers up for him. But now we have Trevor Simeon, who's going to be the starting quarterback. And I think he's going to have a pretty good game. The line right now got got taken off the board, but the expectation now is um, the – if you're looking at the spread was three and a half points for the the Browns. I am now – I think that spread's going to go up somewhere around seven and a half to eight points. I would take the Jets. I'm going to tell you why. I expected Browns to, to completely win the game. But Sam Darnold wasn't playing special, and that game's going to be relying on Le'Veon Bell and them being able to throw the ball to the slot. Is Trevor Simeon a terrible quarterback? No. He's one of the upper echelon backup quarterbacks in the league. They don't have their number one receiver in Quincy Anunua, who had an, a, a neck injury, so they brought in Demarius Thomas. But Demarius Thomas is a possession receiver. Jamison Crowder is a possession receiver. And Le'Veon Bell is going to be able to run the ball. I expect that team to be able to to cause some problems for the Cleveland Browns in the uh, from a defensive standpoint. What people don't realize is Greg Williams, uh, and I'm going to change that, Greg Williams, who is the defensive coordinator for the Jets, was the head coach last year interim for the Browns. He got to face Baker Mayfield in practice on a consistent basis. And so is there anybody that knows that offense 
better than Greg Williams? I don't think so. I expect the game to be a close, low-scoring game. Le'Veon Bell to be able to run and pound the ball. I expect the Browns to win the game by somewhere between three and seven points. If that game gets over seven points from a spread standpoint, which I expect it to, take the Jets. That's my sleeper pick for the weekend. So, look, guys, every week I will be on here. Um, obviously, I'm going to be taking some more questions. I want you guys to be able to ask some questions here on, on IG, on Facebook uh, Live, or, or, or any of the platforms. This is going to go up on YouTube as well, as well as iTunes and all the other platforms. Uh, but rate us, review us, check us out. Obviously, on the uh, IG, we're at the Amid Bros underscore podcast, Facebook.com forward slash the Amid Bros. Twitter, we're at Amid Bros Podcast. I appreciate the time. We out.